0: Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new
0: Blackmagic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Blackmagic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey, welcome to the 193rd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Pamela Almeida, Curtis Ratliff, and Ryan C. Henderson. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Unlo. Today we've got Micah fitzerman Blue on. Most
2: notably, he's got a hit movie out called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. It's the story of Mr. Rogers and a curmudgeonly and maybe a little depressed reporter coming to terms with his own empathy. Thanks to the help of Mr. Rogers. It's really great. We we dig in on the process of while also navigating a career writing television, how you kind of balance those passion projects with the upfront work that you have to do, the role of being a writer-producer, how that sort of works, and also, uh, like always, the nitty gritty of specifically the steps that he took to find that success.
0: Yeah, what I love about Micah and kind of digging into his career is that he's done so many different things. He was like one of the head writers on Transparent from season one, kind of side by side with Jill Soloway. He wrote Maleficent 2, this like giant Disney film. He is doing a new show for Netflix. He has this movie right now that is based off a script that he had written like almost 10 years ago that was on the blacklist. He is just really amazing at finding really interesting stories and. Figuring out like what is like honest and heartful and emotional. And I really love what he said about what he looks for in directors when he's thinking about TV and movies. So super excited to have him on the podcast. And before we get into the show, we're going to talk to one of our sponsors, Daniel from MusicBed. Daniel, you were a filmmaker. Can you give us advice on how to determine whether a video, a short, and ad needs? music with the lyrics versus music with without an instrumental or more of a score piece
1: that's a great question i mean i think some you know some of it's practical like is there a bunch of talking is there a voiceover i I don't you know i think it's always a bad idea to put any sort of melody line over a voiceover but i think when you're coming in and out of things it's it's good specifically for ads you know people don't leave watching something like whistling the electric guitar part, right? So the thing that gets stuck in their head is ultimately always
2: gonna be the melody line. I think it's always a plus Especially in advertising, to find moments where you can have the melody, even if it's only a couple of bars, because I think those are the hooks that, you know, it hooks people in and it's memorable.
0: Yeah, totally. We want to thank MusicBed again for sponsoring this episode of Just Shoot It. If you want to get a free month of MusicBed subscription or 20% off your next single song license, head to musicbed.com and use the promo code Just Shoot It, all one word. before we get into the rest of this episode we want to tell you about our patreon page patreon.com slash just shoot a pod it's a place where you can support the podcast if you're into it if you pledge ten dollars we will mail you a hat i will personally mail you a hat or or and personally how
2: how's it going i feel like you've been mailing a lot of hats recently
0: yeah well i you heard that today i got a hat back Mm. (laughs) the post office said dibs It could not find the address, so it's just really exciting to have people help support us and it helps us pay our editors and get our next live show on the book. Yeah, we're
2: already working on the next live show. We hope to see you there. We'll let you know when we have finalized details.
0: So one more time, patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. We're here with Micah Fitzerman Blue. How you doing?
1: Hello good
0: um thanks for coming finally
1: pleasure to be here
0: yeah um i just want to talk for a second about how i know you because we talk a lot about uh living in la and how there's a lot of people that work in the film business here and you are a dad i, I refer to you as like one of the dads in my class but i'm really talking about your daughter is yeah in i'm the class Zelda's my dad daughter. yeah
1: uh we we've been through The most emotionally raw moments, probably, of each other's lives together in, like, delivering a tiny person to preschool that first time and then dealing with their separation anxiety and ours. Yeah. So I feel like we're bonded for life, Oren. Pretty heavy, guys. It's very heavy.
0: Yeah. You're the first. It's real life. You're the first dad from our class that I've had on the podcast. But I've talked Mm. to to all the dads. Don't tell them. (laughs) Keep, keep it a surprise. Then you'll learn who actually listens. Uh, yeah.
1: When I told my assistant this uh, afternoon where I was going, she was like, "Oh, you're going to do a podcast about preschool dads." <laughs> yeah. And you, I was like, mm, "Yeah, kind of. Not a bad idea." <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: You joke, but there is uh, another dad at our preschool that is doing a podcast about. It's like a preschool mystery. It's about a mom in a preschool, but yeah. might as well be a dad. Um, no, I thought
2: it was just like. The Daddy and Me podcast, that'd be nice. Just like you know, a bunch of dudes and like baby Bjorn's. Just like I mean,
1: swapping. Tips. and I have taken our daughters to movies together, sure, yeah. which is another sort of, you yeah. know,
0: very LA thing.
1: very LA thing. I don't know. Well, it's...
2: I'm giving you guys a hard time, a tiny bit, but I think that there is a real aspect that's of your lives that is unique in that. Um, because you're Hollywood people and because like you're in a neighborhood that's very like, you know, writer, director centric, you do get to connect in a way that maybe uh, my parents like, you know, they were just like, you know, my mom was a teacher. Maybe there were a couple other teachers in my, you know, classes growing up or something like that. But for the most part, like people weren't connecting professionally. They were only connecting personally. So it's, it is neat that you guys get to, to interact that way.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, for me, I, I feel like I am so star for the actual kind of human personal connection. Mm-hmm, the sure. non-professional connection with True. people who You just
2: are, mean friends is what you mean. Yeah. Is that what that's called? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Friends?
1: Yeah. The uh,
0: Jennifer Aniston too.
1: Oh yeah. That's great. Um, yeah, I'm totally a monica. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, I, I think also in our industry, you're you're dealing with only a very specific slice of of, of ages mm-hmm. like everyone is kind of th- 35 yeah. and if they're <laughs> 20 they act like they're 35 and if they're 60 they act like they're 35 yeah, everyone's yeah. sort of like you know regressing to that that one kind of feel where everyone's yeah everyone's that and, and it's so it's actually very wonderful to be around like little kids with people who otherwise are not it just I don't know it just dimensionalizes their lives. Yeah. I, do you
2: worry at all? And I'm just clearly projecting here yeah, project that um, my, <laughs> I feel like my identity is so wrapped up in my art and my work that it's very hard for me to, uh, relate to people when they're not kind of doing the things that we do. You know, like your lifestyle is totally different. You're freelance. No, but you know? some of your best friends are not in film. Most right? aren't though. Or most are, I mean. I mean, yeah. like I would say a good 90 we're really talking about people I grew up with and then everyone else.
1: That's funny most of my friends here in LA are actually not people who are in the industry. Oh, interesting. Uh my wife is not my wife's a civilian mm-hmm. uh sure. she and did a work for fox. Yeah, yeah but, right, but really in the very civilian far side. outside of the she was of, like, an of, accountant like the entertainment or something? side. She did corporate social responsibility. Sure, sure. Um you know, she does like public policy. She does that side of uh of the of of the industry such as it is and like i think there is uh i'm i I actually feel a lot of anxiety around like the the weird borderlands between friendship and professional stuff sure i sometimes don't know if it's friendship is happening or like networking is happening (laughs) and and that feeling of not knowing uh kind of it 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 casts this sort of like strange pall over some interactions for me. And to be there's very an, honest.
2: There's an ugly flip side as well, right? Because then it's not just business, it's also personal, right? So there's a lot of hard decisions people have to make.
0: Right? Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, in also in terms of like hiring people, uh, onto writing staffs, uh crew, like I'm I'm always hyper sensitive around hiring friends because i i find who are in the industry because the friendship is so precious and i would hate for it to be compromised if something did not go well on the day or on set or in the writer's room i would rather kind of keep a healthy boundary and keep them as friends
0: yeah There is, there is something interesting. We've actually never, I mean, this is episode 193. We've never talked about this exact thing before.
1: It's really, it's really tricky. I mean, I I think especially, you know, especially being a dad, right? You're, you don't have a lot of time to make friends. Uh, The friends that you have right now in your life are hopefully, you know, the friendships are durable enough to, 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 to stand, you know, all of the neglect that you're going to uh, inflict on them mm-hmm. as a parent who has no time, but for like minimum viable social interaction. Right. Uh, Don't expect more than three sentences
0: without me running yeah. off to deal with something.
1: <laughs> and, and for me, like in, the, in, the, in this moment in my life, like I, I'm just super appreciative of these long term friendships. And especially for my friends who are in the industry, it's not a thing where I'm trying to be like a dick and denying them opportunity. Any way I can ever help give them opportunity, I will. But I'm super worried always when, we, mm-hmm. when we're working together that it's not going to go well. And it's not that I've had personally firsthand a lot of bad experiences, but I, I know so many people who have had massive falling, fallings out, falling out. I think it's Fallings out. Fallings out. Okay. That sounds weird. general yeah, yeah, with exactly. uh, with real friends. Yeah. Uh, and and like that is, su- that is such a tragedy because like what we do at the end of the day is make believe. And is so much it's, it's, it's in so many ways less important than like the actual friendships and relationships that we have.
0: But I guess what I'm curious about in your situation, Micah, is like, did you have the same reticence to trust people's agendas? Like be kind of... Yeah. You know, you have a giant movie in theaters right now. People are like talking. There's like award talk. Like, yeah, you've, it, you're in it. You're having a moment. It's a right. critical success. You just had another movie. You had this hit TV show. You you have a company that's doing, you know, working on these mega giant projects that everyone wants to work on. You're in a different position now than maybe like when you wrote a beautiful day in the neighborhood. You know, yeah, when it was you 10 years were ago. yeah. So. At that I point, it, that hold on, I want to pump the
2: brakes just for a second. Ten years ago, you wrote a beautiful day in the neighborhood.
1: The it'll be ten years in January when we first began the project. When Mister Rogers and we, Rogers probably, and we probably, just came out. <laughs> when Anything we probably had a, uh, we probably had a draft. Yeah, eight and a half years ago, nine, eight and a half, nine years ago.
2: Yeah, because I think another thing that's great about the show not to toot our own horn but like illustrating how long it takes you know is a thing that often feels invisible for people 10 years the movie came out like a week ago now right yeah that's wild that's incredible yeah well congratulations it's great by the way thank
1: you
0: yeah really wonderful
1: thank you yeah
0: um yeah matt contributed to the thanksgiving box office did yeah
1: i appreciate that
0: the friday morning alamo draft house it was fun um, when you first moved to LA and everyone's like in it together, we're all kind of trying to climb to the top. It's a different, you're kind of like, Oh, you want to do something? You want to work on something? You want to collaborate on something? You want to meet? You want to do this? It's like a little more open. But I think once you get to a place where you're a little more selective about where you spend your time, maybe now you're like, wait, does this person want to hang out with me? Cause they really want to go, yeah to... I mean, it's
1: for me, it's less about I'm worried that someone's trying to like whatever um take advantage of me. It's really the opposite. It's like I'm so protective over the actual friendships that I have that I'm just scared of it not going well mm-hmm. right if we work together. so I probably i I feel so much more reticent about about working with people who I, um, uh, it's, and maybe this is, this is a really strange thing about me um, where I feel like, I, I, I don't
0: think it is strange. I, I think it's comedy. Uh, I
2: think it maybe also brings up a difference between the way that you two broke in, right? Because, and correct me if I'm wrong, Micah, you came in purely as a writer, right? And then have like developed a directing career after not, finding not yet success. Not a director,
1: only, I'm um, I'm uh, only producing, hope to be a director.
2: Sure, there you go. Um, so, so then in that case, you don't need a bunch of pals to come over to your apartment and shoot something with you. You're just alone in your sad apartment, typing away at an <laughs> old copy of Final Draft, right?
1: Yeah, just actually, I just had a typewriter and a and a and a bottle of cheap whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I was, yeah. I, I was just trying. You just, just watched this the, in the, on the wall. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Uh, no, uh, actually, um, I remember when I moved out. I was uh, I didn't know what I wanted to to be. I knew I wanted to be some kind of writer and I tried all kinds of different kinds of writing when I was in college. Did Inter- you study writing? I studied history and literature. Okay. Like I was interning here and there and then I had some time and When
2: you I, say here and there, where do you mean?
1: Um I interned oh. at WW Norton book publisher mm-hmm. in New York. I, I got to like edit a biography of an author um which was cool but also publishing was sure, at the dying. beginning of the thing yeah, that was, yeah, that felt like just a, a terrible upheaval. You could Not, smell it in the air. Yeah. yeah. I mean, whatever. Pub- book publishing has been dying forever. Right. And yet it hasn't. But what was happening at that company at the time just, it didn't feel healthy. Um, mm-hmm. And then it didn't feel like there was an opportunity for me. Um, then I worked, you know, I, I thought about doing academia, went, you know, uh, kind of working with a professor and that felt like the wrong life for me. And then kind of on a lark, I wrote a screenplay and it really did. I I mean, I never thought I'd be somebody who felt like they had a vocation, Mm -hmm. but like when I wrote a screenplay, which was terrible, it was terrible. Can you tell us the long line? Uh, It was terrible. And it got me into trouble with my future mother-in-law.
0: Is it a horror movie about Jewish mother-in-laws?
1: No. Uh, Um, but it was, it was about actually a college roommate of mine who, uh, who came to college his sophomore year. And he had, he, had come, uh, he had graduated high school. He's gay. And he knew that he was gay. And he vowed to himself when he graduated high school that he was going to go to college and that he was never going to come out. He was just going to be gay when he got to his freshman year. And he got to freshman year mm-hmm. and it didn't happen. And then oh, like he's oh, sure. like, I
0: don't need to worry about the transition then, because yeah. it's right. all new yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. He was going to use the natural. Clean I was going to go by Matthew transition. and then I
2: introduced myself as Matt. And that was that. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. And it didn't happen. And then he transferred to my college uh, sophomore year. Mm-hmm. He's and, like, and, I need a do over. And, and, and it did work. It, yeah. it was a do over. Yeah. And and then there was this moment when he had friends from high school visiting and he was like, right when they were like walking up, he was like, "Oh yeah, by the way, uh, no one knows. They don't yet. know that I'm gay. Oh man!" And I was like, "What? What the fuck?" Like, <laughs> and and then you know, years later, I was like, "What is the most interesting dynamic that that just felt like it, it, it felt like character and that a secret and cinematic?" Sound
2: so bad, actually. There's a
0: good screenplay in that. Oh idea. yeah,
1: to- totally. I didn't it, write it. I maybe thought, it's I about it... the
0: journalist that interviews. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your friend yeah no,
1: but uh and so I wrote this screenplay I wrote it with a friend and um but it was like it was like a month and i f- it just felt right uh and what we produced was not good but it was it was wonderful and I showed it to like you know everyone who would read it and I got like eh, that's nice and, and had you studied
0: and, like you know did you read screenplay like or no, any of that I stuff.
1: Just, I, I think we we like got some bootleg copy of like Movie Maker Pro. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even Final Draft. It was something else. It was mm-hmm. it, it felt like Soviet right. screenwriting software.
2: Yeah, yeah, just like Final Draft now.
0: Um.
1: Yeah, and, no, but and 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 so I I, I my mother in law got a hold of it, um, and because my
0: wait my, you weren't married yet?
1: No, sorry my my girlfriend who then became my fiance and then my wife and then. The mother of okay. my daughter in <laughs> yeah. preschool—that where we are both dads. Yeah, um, yes. Uh, she, of course, because we were in love, loved it, and showed it to her mom. And her mom read this this, this bad this screenplay this about a college kid who was yeah. who was uh, closeted, sure. and oh. then was like was like to my wife. I think Micah is trying to tell us something, <laughs> trying to tell you something, and you should listen.
0: See that's the angle, right? You write it from her point of view. So nice of (laughs) her, actually.
1: So it got me in trouble, um, and it wasn't good. But I loved doing it so much that I wrote another. So that's the
0: first time you were on a blacklist.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I wrote another equally bad screenplay, a second one, um, and then I think maybe even a third terrible screenplay. And then that one I sent to somebody who knew somebody who was like a. An assistant at the William Morris Agency, Mm -hmm. RIP, Mm -hmm. um, who and he was like, "Hey, I'm gonna pretend to be your agent, and you can pretend to be a screenwriter."
2: Um, I do. I love it when we've heard a version of this story a couple times, and it just feels like such a great, like old fashioned idea that you can't you can't do anymore. Basically, like now, now people can Google it in such a significant way right yeah, you mean it, the pretending or the like the, the assistant finding a no, new the, writer the assistant finding new writers It makes complete sense but the like oh i'm going to pretend to be your agent it's like well, yeah, well you know like he, google he, it real quick
1: i don't actually i don't actually know what he did or didn't do mm-hmm. all i knew was that like it felt real enough to me sure that, yeah. that, i mean they got that, a like, wme was, e- email address right yeah. so yeah he was an assistant just yeah. to, to like a real agent and he was like i'll pretend to be your your agent come on out um we'll sell this thing he didn't uh <laughs> but it was it was just enough for me to feel sure. like to feel like that i was of i had something yeah. i had i had a little tiny beachhead here that that made it all make sense and that it was like at least worth you know 6 months mm-hmm. to see I, if it could happen
2: and let me ask just clarifying uh what college were you at
1: harvard it wasn't something that occurred to me to do until very late in my time in college
2: it's one thing if you're in a world where like people are just doing that if you were like yeah i wrote at the lampoon and then you know i guess i just kind oh, of no, did I mean, some there's, there's, there's or a way to
1: go to to college at harvard if you know freshman year that you want to be a tv sure. comedy if, writer if you want to do late that night or something that will, you're like, set it, yeah. this, is, this is this is this is um a a Centuries of privilege sure. that are just deployed and weaponized against every industry and and Hollywood is, you know, is not immune to that at is all. Is in the
2: sweet spot. Right. Totally. But so it's interesting to me that you're not doing that.
1: I was not doing that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's that's fascinating. Well, so But still s- a smarty pants.
1: I'm this is not a story of me overcoming <laughs> some <laughs> and, like pull myself. Adversity. Uh, sure. Ad- adversity. Like this is like i i mean for me i had i had parents who were willing to like pay for my cell phone i had i had uh i i was i never had any fear mm-hmm. about um uh about like f- starving putting food on the table mm-hmm. or sure. like i people were going to take care of me at least up until a point um you know and it's one of the canards about breaking in which is that it really does require a safety net. Mm-hmm. I mean, you cannot earn a living as an intern in Hollywood. You can't sure. you can you can earn, earn a living as an assistant in Hollywood. You have to find some other way to make it happen. And the people who come from means or come from privilege have an enormous advantage that like that just has to be said over and over again until it's not the case. Sure.
0: And I mean it's yeah. still at the end of the day, like trying to turn something that most people would consider a hobby which is like you know writing stories and making videos sure. into a career you need a significant amount of time to float by you know to not make money in order to 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 show someone something that's worthwhile paying yeah, for yeah i mean
1: i feel like david e kelly was born and could write an episode of la law immediately but for the rest of us like mortals like you you don't it, it, it has to be learned. It's a weird form mm-hmm. that requires uh, a lot of things, a lot of experience. Um, and then also just to be a writer, like you have to have something to say. Well, and I didn't. Well, I, I want my friend's story from college to say.
0: Well, I want to touch on that. But before we do that, something related is like, did you have like a day job or did you just move out to LA and just type on your typewriter all day long?
1: Um, my... The the thing I did for pay first was work at a bakery.
2: Oh really? Which bakery? Uh it was Taste an, Tester.
1: NTM's Kitchen um in Eagle Rock. Uh it was in the heyday. Uh you know, I when I arrived in LA it was uh, right during the uh, cupcake boom. Sure. Of <laughs> the uh, of the early aughts. Yeah. Uh, Shout yeah. out to Marie uh, Bruce <laughs>
2: from Sprinkles. Yeah, <laughs> built a career making exactly. videos for Sprinkles. Yeah, actually. one of our past guests <laughs> oh, really? worked
0: yeah. at the behind the Sprinkles counter and convinced the owners of the company to let her make videos about each cupcake. She
1: was and like, a, a, she a director a, for, uh, for Kimmel movies. for a
2: long time, and now yeah, she's got a movie coming out. So. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. That's amazing. It is yeah, really so, good so 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 cupcakes, right? Sure, so cupcakes were big business. Yeah, yeah. And, it's either and, in and Harvard was, Lampoon or cupcakes. So this is a bakery that had like a like a pretty prospering. um like counter service and catering business and they made cupcakes and I was a baker and I may help make them make their cupcakes. And for me, and maybe this is, maybe this relates back to what we were talking about earlier, but why I didn't want to be an assistant was because I didn't necessarily want to be um, spending all of my time kind of in, in the networking game I wanted actually to just 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 to meet people who were not in the industry um and try to create a community of people um that I guess just felt mm-hmm. more sustainable mm-hmm. to me. I don't yeah. know if that was right or wrong, but that was just th- th- that was my gut. Like I think I I think it would have been possible for me to get an assistant job um um had had I, you know, focused on that. But I I also wanted um the kind of job that had hours that weren't my prime writing hours, which were the mm-hmm. morning. So I'd work evenings.
2: Um, wait, wait, so say that one more time. You said you're I like writing. To write, I like to you, write like during the day, in the morning, the like I, you know, t- and you became a baker.
1: Well, no, so it, it was a, it was uh, dessert baking. Sure, is, I it's not like bread baking. Yeah, where yeah, You're waking yeah. up at 5 a.m. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm imagining
2: you're, you make up at like 4 a.m. Really? Yeah. I so mean, it doesn't matter, but no, yeah,
1: like you, you, uh, you're right. you're right to, to bake bread you wake up at 4am not 5am um but uh Thanks, central time <laughs> but uh comment war abated <laughs> but uh i yeah i mean it was just something that i could do that uh, that could pay me a little bit and 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 also not infringe on i think right. what i imagined was a space i needed to like get less bad and at writing screenplays sure yeah
0: okay so now let's go back to the other thing you mentioned which is you felt like you didn't have a story, any stories you had to tell, which is, I think, I mean, it's a problem I personally have when I look at the projects that I'm excited about. I'm like, well, this is like a real interesting visual thing or this is like an, a fun world I want to explore. But then you go and you see Get Out and you're like, ah. But my story is Get Out minus the social message, you know? So it's like, how, do you, how did you end up finding like meaningful stories that you wanted boring. to tell? I mean, I feel like even this... It's funny because sometimes I like look at my really old ideas and I'm like, oh, that's better than any idea I've had in like the last five years. And like your college friend idea seems pretty awesome to me, you know?
1: No, I mean, it's it's not like the log line of my friend's life isn't meaningful or isn't a good (laughs) thing to write about. It's that who I was when I was trying to capture that, I didn't know enough about writing enough about myself to to render it in an authentic way that that I thought could be moving to people
0: so um, how how does writing a beautiful day in the neighborhood have to do with knowing yourself
1: i mean there's this sort of abstract general thing about like becoming a writer where you're bad for a long time and you have to just accept that you're bad for a long time. And for me, and I don't like it's, there, there's no way to talk about going to college at Harvard and not sound like an asshole. And I just, I will now accept that. Uh, and one of the things about going to school there is it implies certain things about who you were growing up as a kid, which is to be like, I was really academic. I was really into a certain kind of achievement. I was really into like like the ex- the sort of external validation that you get from going to a school like that, from, from from deciding to want to go to a school like that. And what you end up being at the end of like 18 years when you arrive there is you're a very you're a professional student. And then what it does when you're there is it reinforces that. So I'm 21 years old and what I'm really good at is being a student. And I'm, and I and I I overvalued like being intellectual. I overvalued a certain kind of academic intelligence, and I think what has made me a better writer, in addition to just like having more life experience, is actually unlearning a lot of that, not 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 right. not, not being like dumber, but like but to access, I'll reacquaint myself with intuition, with just like the irrational feelings that make. For compelling art, um,
0: what's that famous Fred Rogers quote? It's better to be deep and th- and simple than yes, shallow and complex, complicated. That's good that enough. <laughs> something to that effect. Yeah, I always think about that because that is kind of like captures what you're saying, right? At Harvard, everyone is like complicated, but they're um. Like that, they relish the amount of complexity that they can kind of understand. Whereas, at some point, you realize like it's the simplicity, especially in like screenwriting, where it's like really about communicating to a mass, you know, amount of people. You want you want to be simple and meaningful, right? And it, it seems like that's a hard thing to accomplish as a writer.
1: So hard to be simple and meaningful. You know, I mean. The people who I know in my life, who I consider geniuses, are the people who are able to, to explain incredibly complex things in very simple language, using mostly small words. Right. And with trumps. <laughs> if you will. <laughs> yeah. Like it's that, that for whatever reason took me a long time to appreciate and to learn. Well, and, and
2: look, a little bit of that is just maturity too, right? Yeah. Like it, it, I think that's why there are so few um incredible filmmakers who are nineteen, right? There's a few out there or like right. right now, but like for the most part, that's that's what makes them so remarkable, right? It's like it just takes a little bit more growing up and a little more life experience, right?
1: Yeah, I think it did. And um and then the the real origin story of, of a beautiful day in the neighborhood is ten years ago, my writing partner, Noah Harpster, he had he was living here in Silver Lake. Uh he had a two year old and a toddler. Um and he was desperate to basically um get any part of his life under control and his daughter um who wouldn't listen to a thing he said um he put he he put like a YouTube video of Mister Rogers' uh, neighborhood on and uh she like waddles over to the uh, computer screen and starts to listen to him in a way that she has had never listened to. Noah would never listen to, to Noah ever. Um, and then he basically, he the next morning he walks into our office. So you were time, already writing what time partners a, by which I mean a coffee shop. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> which and coffee shop? i of uh, it was Mornings Nights Cafe. Oh, I
2: don't think I know in Silver Lake.
1: Yeah, it's it is now. Oh, really, yeah,
2: ah, uh, gotcha. There you uh, go. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. we were there, we were at Cafe Casbah a mm-hmm. lot. I'm sure now, no, uh, La Calome, La yeah. Um, Oh, the coffee shops of Sliver, like Anyways, Noah, Noah, Noah comes into you know to our quote unquote office and is like, "Dude, I have just discovered a warlock who speaks toddler, and we must write about him." And for us, it began this kind of strange odyssey where.
0: Wait, so do you just abandon all the other things you were working on, the like no, mermaid no, adventure never. film or whatever that you never. had?
1: Never, no, like we, y- y- you keep doing the things that you're doing. It's just I, I feel like we. We have always, we've always been multitasking, but we just began to research him and get to know things about Fred Rogers, and we realized that's very
2: interesting. Yeah, because the film is framed as though it's based off of a specific article, right? Or or the genesis genesis of the article. But the idea to write about Fred Rogers started before you found that article.
1: Actually, years before.
2: That's really interesting.
1: And and so what, what we realized pretty quickly was that Fred Rogers was. Um, a terrible subject for a traditional biopic. He was unwaveringly amazing <laughs> sure. for seventy-four years, and then he died.
2: Oh, and it, not to uh, kiss your butt too much, but I think the thing that makes the movie work is that it's not the same as the documentary that came out a few years ago. We love the right? documentary, and that yeah, that documentary is great. But like, if you had just done a narr- like a fictionalized version of that movie, it wouldn't have connected with people in the same way
1: i i i I think it's a it's 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 not just a question of taste i mean i i i personally don't love the cradle to grave biopic um i think there are so many wonderful like slice of life um historical fictions Mm -hmm. uh movies like the queen Mm -hmm. or frost nixon Mm -hmm. that were always like super inspiring to us i liked jobs too yeah. yeah yeah It's like um, four slices. Yeah, there there are ways, and I, I I feel like there's something sometimes disingenuous about the math of mm-hmm. a biopic, sure. where it's it it all kind of feels like a bad version of Rosebud.
2: Sure. Uh, um. Or a uh, inspiration it. for Walk Hard,
0: basically. Right? Yeah, exactly. I directed a biopic, and there's very much the like, well, this happened here, but let's put it here because we need this to happen here, and there it it does fall into a formula that is like really difficult to escape
2: but especially like your your movie is about a wrestler right and so why do we need to know that much about their childhood let's just
1: get to the wrestling
2: right that's why judy was actually really great like it's such a funny small slice of her life and look you get flashbacks you get context or my week with
1: marilyn i mean it's like you can you, you can you can tell so much about somebody's life or who they are. And for us it, it wasn't actually we decided that it wasn't important for you didn't have to know where Fred Rogers grew up. What we wanted you to know was what it felt like to have this person in your life. And we realized that he was uh uh confrontationally kind. Mm-hmm. That he radically he well but but in your face about it. He would demand things of the people who he would meet in the course of his life. He would demand a certain kind of intimacy. And for people like Tom Juno, the journalist whose article we ended up adapting, that was terrifying. That was exactly what he didn't want at that moment. And so in a weird way, Fred Rogers is the antagonist in our movie right like it's a movie about a journalist played by Matthew Rhys who's trying to write a profile and the person who's the who's a profile subject is not going to let him do it he's going to force this journalist to think about himself instead and it becomes this battle right. between sort of cynicism like and Day. kindness like groundhogs Day? I love groundhogs Day.
0: yeah where bill murray is just like over it but he's just going to do this dumb profile about this holiday Sure. And then he oh, gets right. sucked into that day changing who he is as a human yeah. being.
1: Yeah. I mean and and in that way, I mean like I don't I don't even want I don't want to walk on the same hallowed ground as Groundhog Day. Uh but it is similar in that it is a movie of, it's a story of like spiritual improvement. It's about trying to become a better person, which weirdly feels like the kind of movie that they don't make a lot of right now or that have been relegated to like faith-based movies oh interesting
0: yeah right hey everyone the biggest movie out right now that everyone is talking about is the Irishman it's on Netflix it's a Scorsese flick it's got De Niro, it's got Pacino, it's got Pesci, it's got all sorts of amazing visual effects. And we wanted to tell you about a podcast that is basically the just-shooted podcast of the Irishman. Yeah, it's the official three-part companion podcast from Netflix. The show is called Behind the Irishman. It's hosted by co-star and comedian Sebastian and They go behind the scenes on costuming, on how they achieve the effects. Really a super deep dive into that movie. It's conversations with De Niro and Scorsese about like how
2: long it took them to actually make this movie possible. And also how they got Joe Pesci out of retirement.
0: Yeah. Home Alone 15 wasn't <laughs> good enough. <laughs> Please watch the movie. It's on Netflix right now before you listen to this podcast because there's a ton of spoilers. The first episode is already out and there's new episodes coming out every Monday. And this is just one of a ton of podcasts that Netflix is producing for various shows. They did one for Stranger Things. There's one coming out right now for The Crown. And this is actually their first one that's dedicated to a single film.
2: Yeah. So if you want to check it out, search for Behind the Irishman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket
0: Casts, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. So you wrote the script got onto the blacklist how do you how does that happen you send it to this person that's pretending to be your agent or at this point you have
1: at this point i don't know real i forget agents. if we had an, an agent or not at that point um you know the script kind of gets around uh it it, it, it was it like was, you
0: send it to your friends what do you mean gets yeah, around
1: i mean we had yeah so, the
2: people in milwaukee are like what do you mean gets oh, around?" Sorry. Uh, so genuinely, though. By the way, know.
0: Micah's from Oklahoma, so I am from Oklahoma, Great. There you um, go. And, my, and my mom so spent many it.
1: years living in Milwaukee, and, and she's like, "What the fuck are you is a talking beautiful about?" Beautiful city gets around.
0: Uh, I don't know what you mean. Um, uh, I think that's a hint. Micah is trying to tell you he's a swinger. Just,
2: <laughs> there you go. But we, genuinely, I think Hollywood. I think people tend to use more jargon than we realize
1: sometimes. You yeah, know? you're right. Um, let me rephrase. <laughs> we had a manager, mm-hmm, and the manager submitted the screenplay. Um, to different production companies to gauge their interest, and we got a lot of passes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, assistants, who are the people who um vote on the blacklist, um, liked the screenplay, and when I think when it when it when the list came out, we were on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is and
2: now is this the- a website
1: then then. Before the website, yeah, this yeah. was when it was just like, like Franklin Leonard's pure... like project yeah. that he was that he was doing to try to sort of shine a light on unproduced screenplays. But we but but I should say by the time we were on the blacklist, we already had the movie set up at Big Beach mm-hmm. and we already had financing. Yeah. That's right. Oh, and wow. we already had a producer.
0: Yeah. And wait, yeah. how many years ago was this?
1: This was in twenty twelve.
0: And so seven years ago.
1: Franklin Leonard, who runs the blacklist, uh, I think he he is i think he was always visionary about what this this thing could be mm-hmm. if he were given the resources and and this is this is that and i think he's doing all kinds of interesting things kind of all over all over the industry um to try to like um shine a light on on new voices in screenwriting yeah. um for us it was the old school V one organic version of the blacklist right, right. where it was just a list of people.
2: He's literally got a, a spreadsheet where he's, he's just he's like, tallying he's just like, yeah, just who like likes what. Yeah.
1: Little little tick marks to see like, you know, who likes what. It's funny. Like we've been doing a lot of interviews around the movie coming out, and this is like the least linear. Version of the telling <laughs> of the development of this, yeah. Sorry, uh, this movie. welcome to just so, shoot it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a little bit like the timelines are now kind of getting a little bit choppy in my mind. Um, the story is we we got interested in Mr. Rogers. We found a book called "I'm Proud of You," written by Tim Madigan, who's a journalist who has a, a similar thing happen. It's a true story. It's a memoir, and we ended up ad- we ended up optioning that book. And then adapting it. Um we hired ourselves to adapt it.
0: And who paid that to option it? You guys? We did. did.
1: Uh and it Is was that an expensive thing? No. It was like a it was like basically a free option. It was just an agreement that we could do this. And, you and do you
0: pitch like your vision of the script?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. And and we did and we wrote a version of the of what would end up one day being a beautiful day in the neighborhood. And that's what got um our friend, Yuri Henley, the producer, interested, and that's what wound up at Big Beach with Leah Holzer and Peter Seraf. And then we all together got filmmakers, uh, got directors, um, and then we all went thinking that this is a slam dunk.
2: Sorry, I'm going to stop you there. Got directors. Yeah. How do you go about doing that? What uh, you do? Like it, literally, is it like oh, who who do we like? Who's at our agency? Yeah, I mean, that we, sort of thing. We, or no? Well, we
1: ha- we you know we, we we had a list, but it was directors that um that Big Beach had worked with before. There you go. And yeah. then um and so they sent the script to them, and then they were like, great. And then we ended up going to Pittsburgh, and uh we meeting with the the person who runs um Fred Rogers Company, uh which at that time was called Family Communications Company, and he was like, okay, you guys seem nice. Uh, before we begin, um, just so you know, there will never, ever, ever be a Fred Rogers movie. <laughs> and you're like,
2: great, we're not writing that.
1: <laughs> and so we ended up just like kind of begging, humiliating ourselves, not going away over the course of months, which became years. And eventually they let us into the archive. The Fred Rogers Archive, which is in Western Virginia, and we're in the archive, and you know Noah and I had read this article by Tom Juneau before, and you know we, we're getting the feeling like, like maybe our version of this movie that we had written wasn't quite right, and we're in the archive, and we're basically in a in a pile of handwritten letters because Fred, Fred Rogers wrote handwritten letters to people um you know dozens of people a day and he would pray for people by name he would meet people in the course of his life and he would minister to them he was like like i said you know he was this uh he was this compulsively kind person so he would he would absorb the thing that he would see in you he would see right through whatever you were trying to do trying to cover for ask you a cutting question find out what was going on in your life and then help
2: yeah as uh, best you- he could and you know it's so interesting. I read an Atlantic article by the author, by Tom. By Tom, um, and he mentions that like he studies very hard to do that sort of work. Like he takes notes on like emails yes. and like writes down people's names. Like so, we had all is of them. incredibly thorough in the way in which he's
1: yeah, and like and like intentionally you know, kind to people. And we love the documentary mm-hmm. uh, "Won't You Be My Neighbor?" because it gives you this like broad view of Fred Rogers impact on the world
2: you're a little mad they took that name though
1: well we had luckily there were enough (laughs) there were enough to choose from but the our movie we 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 had always ever wanted we with our movie we had only ever wanted to tell the story of Fred Rogers impact on you Mm -hmm. on individual people because that was this other part of his life that was less well publicized and so we're in the archive and we see this box labeled Tom Juno. And we're like, "Can we see that box?" And it's brought down for us we're wearing these like, you know, these white cotton mm-hmm. archival gloves and mm-hmm. we open the box and it's oh 200 God, so it's hot. like 200 letters <laughs> uh, that they had exchanged. Uh, emails, funny. handwritten letters yeah. and in that moment it was like, "Oh, this is the movie."
2: A weird Mr. Rogers question. Did did you get the sense that he printed those letter like the emails did he print them out and then say oh we're going to archive these
0: or did someone out an archivist go through all of his emails? it was an
1: archivist okay. after he died yeah
0: and can i ask you and this can you can give like a general answer to this if it, if it helps but like what about your script felt not right like how did you realize like there is a better version of this
1: we just felt like it we could like the it's a general answer it was just like we you're kinda again, like you're you're kind of turning off your brain a little bit. At least I am, when I'm doing my best work and being most honest. And just like, what does it feel like? And we felt like there was a better feeling thing that we could do that we could make. Um and
2: well, we all relate to, or at least most people relate to being affected by that show, right? Yeah and we don't relate to being Mr. Rogers in quite the same
0: way, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I guess and like as a screenwriter a lot of times I feel like you are in this place where you're like there's probably a better version of this story but let's just send this out and see how oh, it yeah. goes, you know.
1: I mean, I think the other sort of like the other thing just to note what was happening in our lives at the same time as we were doing all this work is we were writing on transparent. And um being writers and producers on that series I mean, for every thirty-page screenplay or thirty-page teleplay, we would write like two hundred pages. Really? So, so at the time, w- the idea of like rewriting or heavily revising anything didn't phase us at all. Wait, we why just, is
0: that? Why would you be rewriting so much on Transparent?
1: That was just the process. It was just like a highly iterative room. It is, was.
0: Is that how you work on everything, or was that no, specific no, to no, Transparent? No,
1: that was that. That's that's. Uh, I mean, a lot of shows do a lot of drafts. Um, Jill Soloway, as a showrunner, at least on 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 Transparent, um, wanted to see the version that we had discussed. So you would write that version, and so, you know, for for Noah and I, who write fairly quickly, you kind of learn. Um, the hard way to get out of your own way. You leave your ego outside of it and you just sort of do the work and you kind of see how it looks. So, but idea, when you're doing
0: that, do you get like super excited about like a line of dialogue or a moment or a beat or a visual? And then when it's torn apart, you're just like, no part, no problem. We'll just do something different.
1: I mean, you, 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 you endure countless indignities and tragedies watching things that that you think are wonderful, you know, fall by the wayside anytime you're in any collaboration. Um because what we what we do together is to try to like find some common common ground between all of our imaginations. Um I am not someone who is precious about dialogue. Uh I'm someone who is precious about trying to convey the big feeling. You know, I think I, you know and I learned I learned the hard way, um, not the hard way like bad things happen, but I did I suffered a lot, you know, fighting for phrasing, fighting for syntax, fighting for words to be spoken in the way that, that they sounded in my head. and it's such folly uh, to try to do that in this industry. you'll just you'll have a very short career if that's what happens every single time someone makes it their own. Like I think of a screenplay as like a – it's like a bonfire. Like people want to gather around it, and it's the beginning of a conversation. And I hope as a screenwriter that like I'm setting par kind of. Ooh, that's cool. That's a, sp- a sports metaphor. Yeah, I don't usually golf. do those. Uh Golf, yeah, golf, guys. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I hope that what happens on the day is – way better than what I have on the page.
0: On the day, you mean on the shoot?
1: On the shoot, yeah, sorry. I think of, I think of, uh, you know, a screenplay as sort of setting par for what a cast and a crew is going to do when they film something. I hope that it's way better than what I have on the page. And I pray that it's not worse.
2: Right. I think that's, it's so interesting to hear, or rather to think about the gift of, a show like transparent or kind of any you know great TV show, there's a churn to it, right so like you I just love the churn you're just you're you're suffering those indignities so quickly and then seeing what the result is and realizing, oh, it wasn't so bad, like maybe they were right, maybe they were wrong, but like the show is the show already, and then you're already back in the writers' room, you're already working so fast that like you just iterate much faster,
1: yeah, you get out of your way.
0: And is that on transparent, that's just coming from Jill Soloway just saying like, that doesn't feel right or that's not right. Or like, what if we do this, like, or bring this character into the storyline, like, and then
1: on transparent. I mean, I, I was part of it from, from the very beginning, um, like the early days. And it was, it was always this place where like, you know, inspiration was lurking for better and worse. So new ideas, like, like, you know, new shit would come to light. (laughs) And you would write about it. And it was, you know, it was, my, it, was, it was my job and Noah's job in part to, like, raise the barn over and over again. Like, whatever. That's a technical term, by the way, in Hollywood. That means raising a barn. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it was our job was to, like, kind of get a script up on its feet and say, like, hey, what do you think? Is this working? Mm-hmm. And people would be like, no, it's <laughs> not working. Do it this way. Or let's try it this way, and then uh, we would get it right. Um, and you know, we were doing that on you know every episode of the season. Um, and and then you'd bring it to set, and the actors would be like, "I don't know about this." And then you'd rewrite on set, and then it would, and then of course. The, the coverage would shift over the course of filming because if you're changing it all the time sure. and the blocking changes, then the, the way that it's shot changes. Uh, and you then, just made me nervous right oh, there. Yeah. I, just, oh, I yeah. just got sweaty. Oh, yeah. yes. And then, you, and then you would get to post. And then yeah. you'd be writing it in post because what would, what would end up there in the footage was different from – what it was in the screenplay and what it was uh, you know, on set on the on, you know, when you were filming it on the day. Um, and you would just write it again and write it, you know, with the editors and yeah. and, and 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 the and the post staff. And that process ended up being an incredible boot camp for me and Noah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you we we learned to kind of Uh, ride the chaos and ride some of the lightning and to keep breathing Mm -hmm. um and to and to have whatever whatever amount of uh distance that you need from something to be able to work on it at the same time as a lot of uh like very loud voices are Mm -hmm. kind of all around
2: and it's still personal um so i want to juxtapose this though because i think it's interesting you've got this intense thing that's happening right like everything
0: about transparent is active and shifting yes. all of the time not to mention when it comes out it's like a very yeah. cutting-edge show yeah, yeah sure people on are talking new about a streaming service
2: and with also, like a new
0: voice you've got this old idea that like you've been
2: working on for a bunch of years with your writing partner about Mr. Rogers and oh shoot, them. Yeah. Like, there's a documentary already coming out. How do you how do you stay interested in a project for that long? And also was part of it just the fact that you get to go to Pittsburgh and, and like kind of reinvigorate yourself with kind of the different things that are happening happening culturally around the story and you know, new articles and discovering new things. How do you keep the the romance alive on this kind of back burner project.
1: I mean that, as I understand it is a lot of what the job of film producing is, is keeping your eyes a little bit higher up on the horizon uh, of keeping the people interested and excited, even during the times when it feels like impossible or dormant or slow. Um, And, you know, it's, it's where having a community of people you're working with around the movie is useful. We had producers, Yuri, Peter, Leah, who were just there throughout. So we were all kind of having the same experience together. Um, you know. And Mario Heller directed an episode in the second season of Transparent. Sure, there and you go. And we were discussing, you know, she, you know, we were just shooting the shit and she was like, What are you working on? And we said, Oh, well, you know, between all of this, where you have know, this Mr. Rogers thing. And she said, I'll never forget, she was like, Why aren't I directing that? <laughs> Which is like the most Mari thing you, you could, she could say. And we're like, And Charity
0: uh, did Secret Life. Or, she did Diary of a Teenager. Or Girl. Diary of a Teenager. Uh, yeah.
1: And and we're like, I don't know. You, I don't know. Because uh, somebody else is. And then of course, so you like, had someone else we attached. had somebody else attached and, and then they, uh, they fell out and we went to Mari and that's she's just so wonderful.
0: That's awesome. Um, we should wrap up pretty soon, but on that note, I have two more questions and we'll give Matt two questions on the top of Mario. You obviously write and that's how you get into this business, but you're also producing, which part of producing is like, figuring out what, what team is going to make this movie. What do you look for in a director to that wants you to work with them, that gets you to want to work with them?
1: I, I mean, a director, like a writer or like an actor, like they serve different purposes at different points in the process. This is a complicated, maybe this is a, an overcomplicated answer, but you know sometimes you need like a movie star to get someone to care about the thing that you're working on sometimes you need um you, you you need a a writer to know that like progress is being made on a thing and someone's actually working on it i think what you look for in a director and what a director is best at in terms of as a i think as a producer First of all, if they're if they're a certain kind of director, it means your movie's gonna get made because they are the people who make movies and they don't sort of attach to everything, um, kind of willy-nilly. But you know, and 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 Mari is the kind of director who, when she attaches to something, she means it. Um, but I think in in development, when a movie's not yet made, a director, especially one with a track record, is the best possible shorthand for what the vision of the movie is going to be
0: like in a, when you're like tone wise,
1: yeah. What like our movie feels like in all the ways that you want a Mari Heller movie. It and, has all of mm-hmm. it has the lived in quality. It has the handmade quality. It's about the performances. Um, and and when we brought her on, that's what you know not to commod- commodify her, but that's what we were saying about our movie. We were saying, these are the things that are important to us.
0: Right. So for our uh, listeners, let's say they're trying to pitch to be to get a job on a movie. Uh, Is it, do you th- like, I guess what you said about Mari right now is interesting that it's not literally about, like, she made these three movies and they all seem to have a certain thing. And we want that for our movie. You're saying she's, it's less about the specifics of what the movie was or even what the tone of the movie was and more about what she seems to excel at, which is like performances, which is kind of a cinematic lived-in look. Um, so if you're a filmmaker that has made maybe two or three movies that are drastically different from each other, do you think that's a, a point against you or do you think... No,
1: I mean, I think it just might be a, a more of a challenge to be able to communicate your vision. Like you're going to have to do maybe some more work to 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 be very clear with with what it is you're after. I mean, there are so many, I mean, you think about like directors like Steven Soderbergh where they've directed one of everything. Right. You know, he can just he can slide into any genre and he's done them all. And I think it's part of, you know, his mind to to try to try to like see if he could even pull off X or Y or Z. And he and he can. Uh, sometimes it less less well, but he does it. Uh I think in the case of in the case of Mari, um, and I think this movie is different in good ways, but it's also it's of a piece with the work that she does, um, and it, and it, and it plays to her strengths. And I think Mari is the kind of director who knows who knows what she likes to make and how she likes to work and what kinds of stories make sense for all the ways that she likes to work and what she likes how she likes to make movies. And and this fit that nicely.
0: And so when you're hiring for TV, where it's a little bit more plugging someone into a moving Assistant. train. Yeah. Is that, a, do you look for different things?
1: Uh, for TV, I mean, it, it depends on, you know, it depends on the show. I think for Transparent, um, how we hired directors was a unique process that um, was one of the coolest parts of working on anything ever. Um, it was the way that uh, that Jill hired people and uh, and brought people in, to the show, um, who who didn't have the same kinds of opportunities and experiences that an experience that other people had, and you know, in of traditional Hollywood, um, kind of the the spin cycle of staffing and and hiring a directing team, you know, Jill was interested in the, the behind the camera reflecting the vision of a future state in the in in our industry and in the world. Um, and, you know, it was in part Noah and my job as like this one of the, some of the few like cis straight uh, white guys who I think our biggest qualification was that we already had final draft uh, <laughs> was to like help, help empower everybody else, help, help, help to help to just be part of the kind of the safety net. Um, and then, of course, like everyone who worked on that show um is now working all over town. Um, but for TV, uh, generally, I like people who understand and have respect for TV. I think TV is so much more inherently collaborative than 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 film uh, often is. Um, and you want people who understand the rhythm of it. Or who have at least have respect for the rhythm of it, and and know that what they're what they're doing, especially if they're coming on to a to a a, you know, a long running series, is at the very least to do the job very well, and then to do the job so well that you leave time for the actors to to play around and to and to do what, and to do what they want to do. And if you're the kind of TV director who's chewing up the whole day by putting together some long you know, one or, or some tracking shot that's going to just going to like drive the crew crazy. And it's going to be cut up anyways, uh, because that's not the look of the show. That's always less exciting for me. The actor, the directors who love actors are the directors that I love working with because all you want to do is I think is all of us. We just want to watch actors do good acting and be vessels for emotions. And anything that prevents that from happening, I feel like is doing a disservice to what it is we're all doing, yeah, or trying to do.
0: That's the only reason Matt and I married actors is to <laughs> prove to people that yeah, we yeah. love them. Um, that's awesome. Okay, so my last question is about kind of maybe I guess asking a piece of advice if you're a new filmmaker, a new writer, you just moved to LA, you haven't. Don't have really any notable produced credits. What's your advice in terms of like finding the right story that can kind of like, like how, do you have any advice on how to find the story to tell? Like how to find your beautiful day or, cause as you know, yeah. you've worked on Maleficent too, and you worked on Transparent, which is based on Jill's life Yeah, and you worked on your own personal things. Like, I guess you've worked on everyone else's stories and your own stories how do you decide what the what the next story to tell is
1: yeah i don't think I don't think our career is a good model for it's not it's it's weird we do a lot of different stuff and um let me start over um My advice to someone who is just moving to l a or just starting out in the industry wherever they want to start out um is to give yourself a lot of leeway to fail and forgive yourself in advance for the amount of failure you're going to do and to take the time to figure out what you're good at. what Whatever that moment is where it stops feeling like work or a grind and it feels like flow or bliss or whatever the fuck you want to call it, like, there are those moments and they're fleeting and they don't happen often early and we, when you when you find it you know it and like that's that's the dragon that's actually worth chasing that's actually something that you want to duplicate and find ways to touch as many times as possible and i think it takes a long time for some people to figure out what they're good at i know so many people who who came out as comedy writers or comedy directors and ended up directing horror because Mm -hmm. what they what they were good at was timing Uh, they were less interested in the grind of writing jokes over and over again sure yeah and you know horror is so it's so rhythm based Uh, and and so but they didn't know that it took them years to sort of meander toward that and 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 they found their you know their home Uh, I think I think it's about Getting as many touches as possible, and for me early on, I just sort of set my default setting to yes. It was like, hey, we need a writer for yes. I will do that. I will try that. Uh, but we also need a writer for okay. I'll I'll do that too. Like any a- anything that is writing that I can get my hands on, and figure out if I'm good at it or good at it or not. I want it to do.
0: Cool. Great answer.
2: Um. Uh. Well, Micah, this was great. Uh, shall we hop into to unpaid endorsements?
1: Yes. Yeah.
2: Unpaid endorsements.
0: Um. First one is I was on an airplane yesterday and I watched a movie that by all accounts should have been bad. Uh, and I absolutely loved it. And it's called Game Night. Have you guys seen it?
2: Yeah. It's it's actually super good. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's like somebody told me. that It's like, also
2: a perfect airplane movie, actually.
0: Yeah. They're like, you should watch this because the directing is really good. And I'm like, okay, it's a movie about bunch of friends that get together for game night and then it goes out of control. Like, and that is pretty much exactly what the movie is, but it's just so funny. There's the, this one scene. Have you seen it, Michael? I have. I like it a lot. It's really funny where, where, uh, Rachel McAdams is like trying to figure out how to find, like dig the bullet out of Jason Bateman's arm. And she's reading the instructions on her phone and the phone keeps turning off and she has to use her nose to like tap it so that it turns back on. It's just like, so relatable and ridiculous at the same time, and Jesse Plemons, who sure. is you know amazing in Breaking Bad and Black Mirror and everything else he does, is just so hilarious. He plays yeah, the, that guy can this do anything. Anyway. Cop, um, I think uh, John
2: Francis Daly. Uh, oh yeah, he directed it. Directed it, and he was like from Freaks and Geeks. He's mm-hmm. like the
0: little boy. Oh, is that? Who he is? yeah. Okay. There's this one shot in the house where they're throwing around that Faberge egg, where the camera's just flying mm-hmm. from the it's first like the floor to the second floor and. Yeah. Yeah. Then take an extreme close up and it's like kind of Fincher-esque, but much more fun than like an insane David Fincher shot. Um, I just like, I think if you're into filmmaking, it's worth watching. And I think it's a movie you can watch with your like non-filmmaking friends and they would will appreciate it as well. Um, I think that might still be on HBO streaming as well. Oh, cool. Well, it's definitely on Southwest Airlines. <laughs> um uh, second thing, Cyber Monday, I got this. I just got it, so I might unendorse in the future. But I got this dyson v 8 it's changed my changed you, my life and the pre- one day I've had it <laughs> pretty into it. um it's just this handheld vacuum cleaner that uh, is just really sucks um and then my last thing, uh Lorraine Scafaria, who directed hustlers, uh, she posted on Twitter the like ripomatic that she used to show her vision of what the movie's going to be. Oh cool. And it's like above and beyond the best ripomatic I've ever seen. I've seen so many ripomatics from like huge directors. They're like this is how I was sold my Marvel movie or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, okay, some good scenes, you know, the problem with the ripomatic is like you're taking everyone else's good scenes and trying to mash them together and it's hard to tell where you are in that, you know. But what she put together with her editor, whose name I forget, but uh, who she credits a lot to her editor as well, it's like it's so intentional and so different from all the movies she's pulling scenes from. Like she has scenes from Bridesmaids and scenes from Showgirls and scenes from like thrillers and things and Scorsese films. And I don't know, it's just really, really worth watching if you ever are trying to pitch on a movie and you don't have... Any resources to shoot something and are gonna just edit something together? I think hers is like the pinnacle of like what you should try to achieve, and we'll, we'll post that too. And if uh, you haven't listened to our Elaine Goldsmith Thomas interview, who produced that movie, it's uh, it's worth listening to. Okay, Matt, you got anything?
2: I do. I'm gonna endorse actually uh, a pair of comic books: um, House of X and Power of Ten, or Power of X, depending on how you want to say it. Um, are two kind of concurrently running X-Men comics that uh, rebooted a couple months ago now. Um, And, like, I grew up reading X-Men comics and, like, loved them and stopped caring about them as a child, basically, and still loved comic books for a long time. And then someone told me about these, and they are so good and so radical and so... Um, familiar feeling in that like they're still the same old x-men that you grew up loving
0: and these are new comic they're books, new like-
2: comics but then also go so far into the like like crazy bonkers sci-fi like next gen sort of storytelling and there's all sorts of crazy non-linear stuff that i don't want to spoil but like it's basically it's two different series that are running concurrently that you kind of are meant to read uh, at the same time and uh I really loved them. And it kind of is relaunching all of the new X books now, but, um, house of X and power of 10. I can't endorse enough. And I think they're doing a new collection of them relatively soon. So, um, or you can just grab them on comiXology real fast. It's very addictive. It's great. So good. Cool.
1: This might break the rule, but I'm going to do an unpaid endorsement of the first 20 minutes of the Irishman. Cause I haven't seen any uh, more of it? <laughs> I started it last night with my wife, and then she got really tired. She's pregnant, and she was like, "I have to stop this." But you do too, <laughs> and so that's a good sign. Kara a, would be like, Dude, "You just, can watch just, it just without me." Go it. Yeah. So, uh, so far, um, we've seen like Robert De Niro old, mm-hmm. him half old, and then him younger, but also. In sort of an old man's body.
2: You sure, the, that, that's the, a criticism I've heard. Actually, it, yeah, it, it's there. Yeah,
1: um, and I don't feel like I know what the story is yet. But whatever is going to happen, I'm on board. Uh, it feels like a mini series. Yeah, it's so I'm, I'm just excited to watch. There's a, and ha- I'm, it's a now Apparently, a mini series in my life.
2: Well, <laughs> right. Scorsese is going to be mad at you for saying Oh, really? That. Oh, yeah. no. He explicitly was like, it's not a miniseries. Watch it in
1: one sitting. But it's a mini. It's three and a, It's too yeah. long.
0: <laughs> I had... Um, Take it up with I Marty, I was talking May. to a mom <laughs> at our kid's school today, and she's like, oh, yeah, we've been watching The Irishman. I'm like, I think it's a movie. She's like, well, yeah, but we've been watching it over the course of... Yeah, years.
1: over the course of several days. Um, and the other one I wanted to endorse is a, is a new super group a musical super group mm. called the high women mm-hmm. like the highway men, but the high women. Mm-hmm. Do you know about this group? No. It's a super, uh, country group of, uh, Brandy Carlisle, Marin Morris, Natalie Hemby, and Amanda Shires who all like got together to write songs in Nashville. And they put this album out itself titled, and it's been, uh, it's been the thing in my house That has pushed out, frozen, the soundtrack. Like Uh, your daughter, like and my daughter likes it, and I like it, and it it has kind of like some good, uh, like uh, outlaw country vibes to it. And I think Brandi Carlile has the best voice in music, and so it's better than Lost in the Woods. I I mean I I, they're doing they're doing uh, things that I think Olaf couldn't even. Oh, dream right. of yeah is that a, that was a frozen two song yeah
0: lost, in, lost the in the woods oh you haven't seen but you said I, you've been listening to the soundtrack
1: I was listening to the frozen one soundtrack oh, to prepare geez. for frozen two people are gonna I, think
0: this podcast is from years ago I'm so they sorry
1: lost in the woods no I haven't that, that shit will not be played in my house until that's a it, Jonathan Groff okay
0: song? sorry that's pretty good um hey whatever you guys sorry say. for missing <laughs> the uh <laughs> the, the reference the <laughs> reference uh Cool. Those are great endorsements. And the Irishman is actually our sponsor for this podcast.
1: But those first 20 minutes, because I haven't seen the rest.
0: Yeah, that's all they sponsored. Quite good. The first 20 minutes.
1: Off to a great start, Marty.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, The kids go in (laughs) places. Yeah. (laughs) Great. Okay. Well, thanks. Uh, If we do tweet or anything, can people follow you? I'm not
1: on social media. You cannot follow You
0: have a company, right? Red Trumpet? Uh Uh-huh. Red Trumpet Media? Yeah, it's Blue Harp. Blue Harp. Do you guys have a website? Uh, No mdb pro page yep cool and uh you have shows coming out and movies coming out and a lot yeah, of things those things so is there Larry. anything com. you
2: can say that people should keep an eye out for in case they're a fan of everything you said so far no all right <laughs> great just uh
1: <laughs> consume media Maybe, soon, maybe soon. <laughs>
2: cool well, if you have there,
0: any if you like dramas keep an yeah. eye out <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah uh um, well thanks for listening if you have any questions you can email us at just shoot a pod at gmail.com or on all social media at just shoot it pod. we love to hear your questions you can call us at one six two six two 2 shoot one you got it leave us a voicemail let us know what you think and uh, I am on Instagram at O Kaplan and I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow across all social media um, the
2: show is at just shoot it pod. this episode was edited by Jonathan Luna Our webmaster is Eulon Williams, and you're listening to The Artist Jazar, provided by the Free Music Archive. Additional music by Musicbed. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.